Welcome. For those that are able to make it live, if you're listening to the recording, welcome as well. We're going to be talking in a, over, over a series of trainings about the essentials to thriving in a downturn market. And unfortunately, we've been through a downturn before. The last downturn that, that Trent and I started a very successful business in was a more gradual downturn, which was during the mortgage market crisis. And so subprime lending kind of tipped that bubble and it started going down. A lot of people you know, that I've heard from were anticipating a downturn in 2016. Love him or hate him, I think Trump may have extended that so that downturn didn't happen when it was anticipated to happen. And so now we've got a very fast and rapid one that came from an unexpected source with uh, COVID-19. So the, the most important thing that I could share with you as you're going into a downturn is a fundamental concept. I can't tell you who taught it to me first, but it is that of cash flow. Uh, one thing that I've learned from observation of other people's businesses, as well as from running our own, is that nobody knows the business that they're in at first. Uh, you go into business, you think you know what business you're in, you don't, you have to learn that. And the process of learning what business you're actually in takes time. And so cash flow is why so many businesses fail within that five-year windows because they just don't have enough cash to make it through. And when the market makes a sudden change, uh, cash flow becomes even more critical because now you're not, you're not just fighting against your own ignorance about how your business works and what you need to do in the business. You're also fighting external source. So and we'll get into more of what all this means, but I really want to make this point the most important point that you take from today because if you don't get this cash flow thing figured out for your business, um, and if you haven't done it up until now and suddenly you're feeling a crush, this is one of the most important things that you can do right now because until you get yourself in a good cash flow position, you're going to be in trouble. Now, what are the ways that we get people into a good cash flow position? Well, one of them is we can improve our sales and marketing processes and make them more effective. And we'll talk at the end about simple mechanisms. And that is where we're seeing people double their sales, but I don't want to make it all about that, but that is one way to do it. But there is another way that you can deal with cash flow, And, um, my good friend Chuck Troutman out of Phoenix, he posted a video recently where he talked about his experience having been lived through as a business owner four different uh, downturns, I believe he said. And so in living through those four different downturns, the, the one thing that he learned was one of the ways that you can secure cash flow, even if you don't have the business, like you don't have the profit to do it right now, is through loans. And some people hate loans. They hate the idea of debt. But what he suggested was get whatever loans you can, stick them into a, a different bank from wherever you got them and let them just sit there because the peace of mind of knowing you have the cash in the bank is going to be worth it. And the interest rates right now are pretty low. So one of the things that you said ahead, is important there, Ryan, is yeah. stick them in a bank that's not the same bank. A lot of banks, like if I get a Chase loan and I put my money from that Chase loan to a Chase bank account, they have a clause in there that if there's a default or if they decide to close that loan, they can pull cash from my other bank account and pay off that debt. So that's why he's saying use a different bank. That way that money is not sitting the same, you know, same overall entity that can just pull that money from one account to the other and close that line of credit. It's a very important thing you said there. 
Yeah. So thanks for highlighting that trend. So you want to have those reserves. He goes, you're going to pay interest on it, which I thought was a really important point. That's okay. We understand that. But you can look at that essentially as cash flow insurance. I was sharing this concept with another entrepreneurial friend last night. He said, oh, Garrett Gunderson in his book talks about that. He calls it cash flow insurance. I said, oh, that's a great term. I love it. So let's, let's use uh, Garrett's term of cash flow insurance. When you have that, that money in the bank, you, it allows you to make better decisions than when you don't. And so you definitely want to have that. And I'll get into more why um, having extra cash and reserves is important. If you didn't prepare, then you want to be paying attention to that. that. This link right here, you definitely want to write down. If you, got, if you just dropped off after this, this may be enough to help you in many ways. We're going to talk about some other stuff. But the SBA loan, as you guys know, with that terrible, if you're in the United States, we had a terrible, terrible bill that was passed where people just basically got ripped off. But the long and short of it is that they made a bunch of money available to the SBA. So if you're a business owner who's successful, you're not going to qualify for that piece of garbage, $1,200 check they're trying to send to people, which is fine. Go ahead and get the SBA loans. Also talk to your accountant. I don't know, Trent, if you had a chance to already talk to ours. But, well, um, the, but here's the basics of this. Like the, there is basically a $10,000 grant. It's not a loan. It's a grant available to the first 1 million businesses that are small businesses under 500 employees. So I'm assuming all of our customers are small business or medium sized business under 500 employees. Basically you can, you can submit an application for an SBA loan and simply because you had payroll in 2019, then that qualifies you or you had 1099 contractors that qualifies you to submit for, this $10,000 grant. So the first million businesses that submit and qualify will guaranteed get that $10,000 grant for your business. And then that's not going for your vacation. That's going for extra cash flow for running your business, for paying employees, et cetera. That's the purpose of it. In addition to that, you can qualify for some very inexpensive money through the SBA just for operating expenses and for running your business, keeping it open. So if you want to, you can also apply for a million plus in, in funding if your business qualifies, but the long and the short of it is you do want to get your application in the next few days simply because that $10,000 per business goes to the first 1 million businesses. So in a few days, I'm assuming that'll be exhausted. Trent just uh, did it today for a couple of our entities. And in doing that, we saw that the number is at 43,000 at the time that we. About two hours ago. Yeah. So in it, in the, I think it was about 15 minutes between applications, Trent, or yeah. 10 minutes or so, it had, it had gone up 2,000. So th that is being pulled on right now. So you want to get in line as quickly as possible. So again, Trent chatted that out, but let me go ahead. And yeah, the, the critical pieces of information they're going to ask for are, what was your revenue from February 2019 to January 31st, 2020? And what was your cost of goods sold? And then did you employ anybody? 1099 or W-2 employee during that time period? And if so, and you have an entity or you're an individual, even an individual running a business without an LLC or a corporation can still apply, but you have to have employed somebody and paid W-2 income or 1099 to somebody and filed those W-2s or 1099s in January of this year by the January 31st deadline. If, that, if that's your business or your situation, then you do qualify to submit and request that grant. Okay, I don't know what it, it is in your country if you're not in the United States, but every country that we service at Fix Your Funnel, I know has had some sort of program rollout. 
So look, to, you know, look for that information. You know, I had a buddy that's in the UK and he was talking last week about different pro programs that are available in the UK. So wherever you are, there's some sort of program that's available. So go check that out, get yourself, bank a little cash in your account and put it in reserves. Don't think of it as stuff you, you, you're trying to draw out right now. I would rather that you put that, this kind of cash in reserves for other opportunities that could be coming up. And if you have to draw on it, just for the peace of mind that it gives you to be able to operate more intelligently. And then let's make a few adjustments to the way you're approaching marketing and sales so that you can actually take better advantage of the situation where we're gonna have a lot of people that are gonna be in different, different camps that I don't want you to be in, but we're gonna talk about that next. But we wanted to make sure cash flows first that we talked about. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have cash flow, you're out of business. Doesn't matter how good your service is, doesn't matter how wonderful your product is, doesn't matter how great your team is. If you don't have cash, you're done. So that's why this is the very first of the list of things that are essential. Now, when it came to Trent and I's business that we launched at the beginning of the, the downturn of the last market, we had cash flow that came from our marketing and sales. And so the marketing and sales produced the cash flow that we needed to be able to learn the business that we were in. And because it was so good, and as part of that was some things that we did right, a lot of it were things that were happening in the market that we just aligned with. We were able to have some great success. So that leads me to the next slide I want to talk about, which is system stress. Now, whenever you have a system and you stress it, you discover what the weaknesses are. So this downturn right now, there's a couple of things that could have gone on for you. You could have seen some sort of stress cracks in your own business with, with the change, the rapid change from you know, business as usual to suddenly business not as usual. It's easy to freak out about that stuff. If you have the cash flow under, under control, then what you're going to really want to pay attention to is what weaknesses did the stress expose in my business? And so go look at your business and say, okay, what didn't go the way that I thought it should be going? Because whatever, whatever came up is something that's been there for a long time, but it was hidden by a fat market. We're going to talk about fat market and what it hides and then lean markets or stressed markets and, and opportunities that they expose and what you got to do to adjust. But in this, this stress test that just happened with, and is, is still going on with COVID-19, what's happening is weak businesses are going to fail. So businesses that really didn't have any business being around are going to fail. Businesses that have been stressed because the, just the whole parameters that they operated under were changed immediately are, are going to potentially fail. And that's sad. I take no joy in announcing that there are a number of businesses that are going to fail as a result of the stress test that's going on right now. But you guys need to know that because that also, whenever businesses fail, they also reveal opportunities. So there's nothing that goes bad in a system that doesn't also show at the same time the opportunities. So businesses that can adjust to the current reality and also then strengthen things that need to be strengthened are going to pick up all the business of the businesses that fail. Because interestingly enough, some of the businesses that will fail just didn't really have a place in the market anyways. They weren't doing great. You know, they were on the edge anyways of cash flow destruction. And so they were, they were on their way out. But there's a good number that were operating pretty well, that had some good things about them, but that had some weaknesses in some key areas that are going to fail. And those customers all need to be serviced somewhere still. 
So there'll be pent up demand that will be released because we had a clean out that happened much quicker. We had the, the mortgage meltdown. That was a reflection of dead wood in the system that had to be cleaned out in some way. And so the way it got cleaned out was very painful and long. I mean, Trent, how long were we expecting the mortgage meltdown to actually last when that one went? Like two years? So then if you guys watch the markets worldwide, and specifically the United States has a, a cycle of every 10 to 15 years, there's a downturn. There's the dot-com bubble. There's the mortgage market meltdown. This one was a little bit longer to happen. We were expecting it sooner, like Ryan mentioned. But this has also happened really quick. Like usually the Dow Jones has dropped 20 to 30%. It takes a year and a half to two years of a bear market. Whereas with COVID-19, it was triggered and happened in a matter of a few weeks. And so there's, there's also some benefit to that in that we can start the recovery quicker. Now, we don't know that this is the bottom or the end, but um, we, we can say that this did trigger a quicker drop in the market than anyone expected. But it can be a good thing for businesses who want to take advantage of the opportunities that exist when the market corrects. And like Ryan's saying, businesses are going to struggle. It's sad. It's really hard. A lot of people are going to struggle. But those that are, are smart can come out okay from this. You're not, it's not the end of the world. And if you are frustrated and you feel it's just like everything's crumbling around you, that's okay to feel that, but don't sit in that, don't stay in that space. So that's another benefit that comes from the cash flow. If you can fix the cash flow problem in some way and you know have some reserves banked, whether that's through loans or whatever. And that's the I think that's one of the the real silver silver linings of this situation is that because of the sudden onset of it, we got all these funds being made available through the governments, which, you know, they have their own long-term effects, but the short-term effect for you is the ability to quickly gain access to some of this cash that can give you those reserves. And that way you can take a step back because your best thinking is going to happen by taking a step back and assessing the full situation of your business. So the businesses that adapt properly are going to surge, but the business owners that keep a weak business alive when they really should have changed it, so that's, this, this is the warning that goes with the cash flow suggestion is if you have a weak business and you don't adjust the model at all and you say, no, I'll just, I'll just get the loans and I'll kind of push through on this. It, there's a, something called opportunity cost, which is much more expensive than anything else. And that is what's going to really hit you in that scenario. So it's a, this is a really good time to review your entire business and say, where is my business strong and where is it weak and don't compromise and say, well, you know, I'll just, I, this is what I know to do. So I'm going to keep doing what I've done. If you do that, that's, that's like keeping a weak business on life support. You will be able potentially to get through, you know, the downturn and maybe to when the markets return more normal, but the downside is going to be, you've got a dog still. <laughs> so just because you kept the dog alive doesn't mean it changes from a dog. It's still a dog. And so you're going to miss out on opportunities that are available for those that will pivot and adjust a little bit. So that's the real key is you got to look and see. This is why it's so important to look objectively at your business and say, well, what are the weaknesses that were expressed as the stress test is going on? What are the things that just are terrible about my business that I've ignored and I've accepted for too long and need to actually be addressed? This is a really great opportunity, especially if you get that cash flow benefit behind you to be able to pivot the business to make it stronger, make it one that can survive more markets, you know, one that's going to be able to last because just because this COVID-19 thing came out of right, you know, left field and then has thrown people really for a loop and has kind of 
sudden doesn't mean that we're all done with stress tests. It could be the first domino, it could be the only domino, I don't know. But what it does tell you is you've got to start paying attention. So people that were like, and here we're going to toot our own horn just a tad, but not for any benefit other than for yours, which is if people that were like, yeah, no, email's working fine enough. I'm just going to stick with that. Um, I'll get around to doing more effective texting later. Now's your wake up call. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. So you got to start thinking about alternative mediums for communication, simplifying mechanisms, not complicating. And we'll get into that in just a sec. So I want to talk about fat markets because we, we just came out of what I consider to be extremely fat market. It lasted way longer than it should have in many respects. And so it allowed a lot of people to become complacent in things where they should have been paying attention. The same thing happened in the 2002 to 2008 market, 2007 market specifically those that were in real estate or thought they were real estate investors. Well, that rolled over into really a lot complacent. of other markets too. Oh yeah. Cash was there, but there wasn't good fundamentals. There were not good fundamentals to support it. And so that kind of created some issues. So in fat markets, they tolerate weak offers. So you can have a, a weak offer and you can get by. You may not thrive. You may not do exceptionally well, but you can get by with a weak offer. You can have poor messaging. Poor messaging is messaging that focuses on what you want and what you're trying to get out of the market uh, more than it does on what the, the prospect or the market is looking for. And so it may have elements that describe what the, the market's looking for, but it's not real strong. It's real poor in that sense. Fat markets will tolerate complicated mechanisms. So there's a lot of people who have been pushing overly complicated mechanisms for lead to, to sell. Some of them become very popular because there's some really popular people pushing them. I'm not naming names intentionally because I don't feel like it benefits anything. And some people have really tight connections to some of these models that have been pushed. But the complicated mechanisms, they don't lend themselves towards lean markets or shocked markets. They are too cumbersome, too slow. They have too many uh, hurdles that are in those mechanisms. When I'm talking about mechanisms, I'm talking about the automation flows. So where the fat market may have tolerated overly complicated stuff, the lean markets will not. They, they just, for some reason, they just don't respond well to the complicated mechanisms. No, I'm not saying sophisticated. I'm saying complicated. So in, you'll, if you're not sure what a complicated mechanism is, we can talk about that in Q&A period. The, the fat markets tolerate schizophrenic entrepreneurs. The schizophrenic entrepreneur is the person who's changing what they're doing quarterly, half a year, every year. They've got a different business. They have a different business model. They're just all over the place. They're trying whatever they think is new or is going to work. Just that's really tolerated by the fat markets, but lean markets will not. We'll get into a little more of that. Fat markets tolerate loose communities and messages. So if you want to be wishy-washy, you want to kind of be on the fence about some things, you can get away with that in a fat market. That's fine. But we'll get to why that's not going to work in the lean market. And then unconcerned companies. Uh, lean Fat markets, interestingly enough, people, when, when the milk and honey is flowing, they'll tolerate a lot of garbage that they will not when it's lean or shocked. When it's lean or shocked, suddenly people become very aware of companies that are not concerned about their well-being. And that can be expressed in a number of ways. But, you know, unconcerned companies can get by in fat markets. They will not survive. I mean, all these things are good. I mean, if you look at this list of what fat markets tolerate, this is all the garbage of, of business. 
This is, none of this is like the good stuff. This is all the garbage. And so any of this stuff works into everybody's business in some way. I, I would have to say, being totally honest, that we probably have a couple of these things that have worked their way into some of what we've done. And it's stuff that, you know, has been kind of called to action. Okay, we got to clean up some of those things that have become, have been tolerated in even the business. And so in the lean and shocked markets, um, they reward compelling offers. So you really have to make sure that your offer, and when I say offers, I'm talking about the market. You may not need multiple offers. You may need just one offer to each market that you serve. If, if you've got that kind of scenario, we have multiple customers, then you've got two compelling offers, one for each customer. That's really critical that you, you refine your offers to one very strong offer versus 20 really weak crap markets or offers. You have to be real clear on who it is that you're serving and what it is you get. We're going to go into compelling offers a little bit in this training. This is kind of an overview as, as well as drawing your attention to some things you can start working on now. So compelling offer is the biggest one. How compelling is your offer? If you get anybody that is a prospect to go on the page, they instantly understand what it is that you're going to be doing for them. Okay, that leads to strong messaging. I can I actually consider those two grouped, but because I had them in separate bullet points before, I'll put them in, in separate here for this. But strong messaging is really getting really clear on the benefit to the prospect. Too often I hear people saying things from the perspective of the business. Uh, we were just talking with one of our partners in another software that we have and reviewing some of their messaging and some of their messaging was focused upon what they care about in terms of their operations during the the sales process and you know we quickly identified that and we flipped that around so that instead of it worrying about what the business was concerned about we flipped it into what was the prospect well, let's, concerned let's about. give a real world example there so okay. their messaging was when they could start the project whereas the 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 consumer, the customer is concerned about when will this project be finished? So I'm going to have my family over. I need to have my kitchen redone. That seems to be finished by Christmas. That's their concern. Whereas the messaging was when they could get started, where as an individual, as a consumer, as a person hiring them, I'm more concerned about, well, I want to get this done. I want it to be done right. So the messaging has to come from the perspective of what is the person receiving the message want to hear versus what do I want to tell them from my time frame, my timeline, my perspective. Okay. Now it's not to say that it's not important to know when you want to start the project, right? But you can deduce when the project needs to start by asking, when does it need to finish? When it needs to finish is what's important to the prospect. And so that was an example of, of creating stronger messaging. So in every step of your interaction with your prospects, are you coming at it from their perspective or have you let your perspective kind of seep into the whole messaging? And we see this a lot. You know, as we review messages that are going out through Fix Your Funnel, we see a lot of messages that have almost at an unconscious level baked into them the needs of the owner versus the needs of the prospect. And it's a simple tweak, but it's a powerful outcome when you tweak that. So when we talk about strong messaging and how the, the shocked or lean market rewards strong messaging, it's just looking at all of your messages, your emails, your text messages, your voicemails, whatever it is that you're putting out into the marketplace and saying, hey, is this really tapping on the, the perspective of the prospect or is this, is this coming from our perspective? And once you get those perspectives right, that's one of the first lessons I learned from Travis Tolstrup when uh, he took me by the credit card and started teaching me marketing, which was the you ratio versus the me ratio. 
and that was you know a simple ratio but that concept of is our messaging unconsciously communicating our needs versus the needs of the customer or the prospect and if we switch that that turns into strong messaging versus poor messaging okay the shocked or the lean market rewards the simple mechanism and the simple mechanism i used to refer to but i got bored of saying it but you guys probably haven't been bored of hearing it is the yellow brick road you should your your process or flow for a person to go from prospect to customer should be so simple that little munchkins can come out of the flowers and seeing it simple enough that a shocked little girl that just fell out of a tornado can understand it, remember it, and follow it all the way through. So that's how simple the mechanisms that you want to put a person through to go from prospect to customer need to be. And simple doesn't mean unsophisticated. Unsophisticated is, you know, it's kind of rudimentary. There's red lights in it, that kind of stuff. Sophisticated means we pay attention to the psychology of the movement from prospect to customer. And we make that as slippery and as easy as possible for the prospect. So that means it has the capacity for them to get more information if they need more information, but to move as quickly as they want to if they're ready. And so we'll talk about that today as well. We'll talk about compelling offers, messaging, and then mechanisms. Next, the lean or shocked market really, really rewards focused entrepreneurs. So entrepreneurs who know who they serve and what, the, you know, what value they bring to the market. And they, they, when they know that, when you know that, it's very easy for you to do the right thing. When you're not sure about who it is that you serve, like you say, oh, I serve everybody. Mm, no, you don't. You don't serve everybody, okay? If you think you serve everybody, that's a, a good sign of a problem in your business. You gotta know who you serve, what problem it is that you solve for them, and when you're super clear on that, everything else is gonna be better. You're gonna have stronger messaging, your offers are gonna be more compelling. It's gonna be easier for you to refine down to simple mechanisms for moving someone from they don't know about you to long, long life-term customer and hopefully evangelist. So the focused entrepreneur is the one that's gonna be rewarded. So if you've been kind of all over the place, or you found yourself dabbling in a lot of different things and you haven't been real solid, this is your opportunity focus in, figure out who it is that you really want to serve. Now, when I say that, the only caveat I want to add is you got to make sure that it's a market that wants to pay, right? You could focus in on the totally the wrong people. I had somebody I saw on Facebook the other day talking about how they wanted to serve people that operated snow cone machines. And I knew this individual, I knew, you know, their skill set. And I'm like, well, that's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. And I didn't mean that to be, you know, unkind to them. But the reality was, you know, there's no money for that market to be paying you. So with the skill set that you have, is that the right market to serve? And you want to, you know, if you've got to work, you might as well do something where you're going to be rewarded for it. You know, it takes about the same amount of effort to make multiple millions of dollars as it does $100,000. It's just applied in different markets and in different ways. And so, you know, and if you want to go even higher than that, it probably takes a little bit more work, but then it's a different work. It's more team than it is a uh, focus. But at any rate, the focused entrepreneur is going to do much better. And so right now is the time to get focused, clarify who it is that you serve best, really, really know what that is, because when you know what problem it is that you solve best, and hopefully that's a problem that's, that's valuable to the person that you're solving it for, that they've demonstrated through past transactions with either you or somebody else that they're willing to pay for it. 
But if you know what it is, the problem that you solve and who you solve it for, now you're in a really great position to have compelling offers, strong messaging, and you'll be able to create simple mechanisms because you know exactly what it is that you're doing. Fine, not finally, but next, the, the leaner shock market rewards strong communities and messages. And when the reason this is different from strong messaging, even though it's related to it, is strong communities and messages are, are communities that know what they're about. One of the things that we learned with our first company that was, you know, created during a downturn that was very successful is we had a very clear message of what we were about and our community had a, a common language that they used. Part of the thing of creating strong communities is common language, common storylines. So in our storyline, it was us versus them because we were siding with the homeowners and the real estate agents and we were against the banks. One of, the, one of the things go ahead Trent. one of the things i think that shows the strength of this community just these are people we haven't worked with for probably five six years or more i've had three of them reach out to me over the last 48 hours since friday to monday we even reached out to me wanting to see if there's anything that we can do together and i haven't talked to these people for five six years but we had such a strong community that they still rec we still see ryan and i as part of their team even even years later that business doesn't exist but they still see us as part of their community because that strength of that community we created during that time of 2008 to 2012. Yeah, and so I recently did an interview for a podcast with a gal and you know, as she was talking about her business, I just got so excited because she has a very clear community. In her case, she serves female entrepreneurs. So she knows that's who she serves. She doesn't serve men. She doesn't serve anything else. She serves women entrepreneurs. And then not just all women entrepreneurs, but women entrepreneurs that were in these four categories is like coaches and something, something. I can't remember what all four they were, but she was very clear on who the four people that she served. And because she knew who she served, this goes back to the focused entrepreneur thing and the strong messaging, but because she knew who she served, what problems she solved, she was able to create a strong community around that. She knew what their weaknesses and challenges were, were the things that could kind of cause them to stumble and she addresses things in her community to meet the needs of that community. And so she has a really strong community. You know, a, com a community is strong when they start identifying themselves by a new name. So, and they call themselves the sparkle girls or something like that. In ours, they were the short sale geniuses. We haven't really done that with Fix Your Funnel. That's like one of those weaknesses that, you know, we do have, I think, a pretty strong community, but we could have stronger messaging in terms of what we're all about. And so that's one of the things that we're working on in 2020 is becoming more clear on that. But that strong language where everybody that's part of the community knows certain terms. I mean, we do have that going for us, but you need to have that in your business as well. And it, you don't think that you can have this in any business. Open your imagination because in any business, you can have this kind of community. You know, I think about, and I brought this up a couple of times, which tells you how strong it is in terms of an example. But there's a donut shop in Escondido, California, where because of the community they have built, and they built it a little bit differently than we built our short sale genius community, people, people think about them, they buy from them, even in, in lean and shocked markets. They make a point of going out of their way of giving them money for the, the product that they produce because of the community they've created around their business. They know all of their customers' names. 
like even obscure customers that live in Arizona and only come in once every so often. I, I go in there with my family and then my name, my wife's name, we go there maybe once or twice a year. And they Do say, they know hey, your Trent, birthday's too, Trent? Uh, I don't know. I don't think I've told my birthdays, but maybe Sean has. Yeah, I don't know if Sean told them my birthday. Sean's another one of our brothers, but they know my birthday. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> How'd that happen? You know, they, they go out of their ways of remembering these different facts. There's a lot of different ways to build strong communities, but strong communities are super critical in lean and shock markets because you need to have an insulator around your business. And the way you create an insulator about your business is you create a community around your business. And there's a lot of ways to go about doing this, but it's a really critical point. And we'll, we'll do a training on this and talk, get more in depth and more strategic on it. But it's really important to create a strong community with strong messaging. You cannot be milk toast and create a strong community. Strong communities are built on very defined language of what it is you're about, and what it is you're not about. So there should be disqualifiers for people in the community. If they act or behave or do or say certain things, they, they have to be cut off of the community. If they behave, act and do things in the right way, the way that, that the community's guidelines are essentially, then they're part of the community. And it's not so much about rules and ticky-tack, things like that. It's a sense of it or a feeling that people get. They know immediately if someone belongs in the community or they don't. And so that's kind of the community you want to create around your business. It's an insulator. It protects your business from during shock and lean markets. You can also know if you've created a good community because you have evangelists for your business. And you know you have evangelists for your business when people, not because they're getting money from you, but because they, they genuinely love your product or service, talk about it to other people, defend it, uh, bring it up when people ask questions. So you want evangelists. If you have not reached the evangelist level for your, your community, then you have work to do on the community still. So that should be a goal that you have. Otherwise, you will not survive through a lean and shocked market. You need evangelists. Evangelists are a sign of a strong community. Finally, um, lean and shocked markets reward genuine concern for customers. So genuine concern for customers is known, this is how you know that you have genuine concern for customers because you care about the problems that they face and your solutions match the problems, okay? You don't look at the truck and say, well, what do we got in the truck that we can sell people? You look at the person, you diagnose, and then you prescribe based on their needs. And so that genuine concern for customers is expressed in a lot of different ways. One of the more important ways is in customer support. So we talk a lot about marketing and sales at Fixer Funnel because a lot of the mechanisms we, we develop are primarily you know, trying to help people with that problem because that's the problem that entrepreneurs care about. But in a lean or a shocked market, you have to be really careful about customer support. Customer support is what happens after the purchase. So after someone says yes, what do you do to try and make sure that they get the outcome that they're after? And that's customer support. That's really critical. That's, that's how you express genuine concern for customers is you make sure that you deliver on the promises you make during marketing and sales. And you do the things that you can responsibly do to make sure that that happens. We did get a question on the Facebook page from okay, Travis, Travis Talstrup. Um, I don't know if he had some ideas here. But he said, what top three items would you evaluate to determine weak versus a strong business? Good question. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what I'm kind of going through right here. I think it, you know, one is cash flow. Number one is cash flow. Do I have reserves? Do I have, you know, a good flow of cash in the business without loans? The loans part, you know, is more of a. This is kind of like you. You just got majorly injured. We got to do emergency triage. That's what the loans is about. 
But without the loans, do you have good reserves? I hesitate to say a, you know, an amount. I've heard amounts anywhere from three to six months in reserves up to two years. So I think that's all over the board. Probably yeah. a lot of it depends on, you know, what is your consumable in your business in terms of your margins as well. Yeah. Your margins, you know, a lot of those things can indicate how, you know, what kind of reserves you need to have in place. But then cash flow means how repeatable and consistent is the is your income flow. So is the money coming in, you know, how variable are your costs? You know, those kind of things, you know, kind of incorporate into what I would look at. It's very specific. I don't know if I have general because I haven't thought about it enough to give you the, the, the top three trap. But the long and short that I'm looking for is, do we have the, the cash to continue in business through the learning curve? Because when markets change, you got to learn, you got to make adjustments. And if you haven't already focused on this, these six items, you know, then there's, there's a little bit more to learn as well. But that well, cash one, one thing really also you, you mentioned earlier was sometimes you have to decide, is my business not worth keeping open? And there's some cases where we look at the, the math of a business and in a fat market it supported that business, but in a lean market, it's, it's going to be a tough decision, but you might want to consider shifting to a different focus or different business model. You can stay in the same industry, but shift your model to serve in a different way where your margins are better and your, your math of your business is better. Cause we've seen a lot of businesses that have great services, but poor business math, meaning that it doesn't make sense what they're charging for what they're offering. They can't sustain a business on that. Okay. So now we hit the choose your own adventure portion of this training because I'm looking at it and we've got 20 minutes before our deadline to end. And so as I look at that, I've got, I've got easily 20 minutes in the next two slides, but those are going to focus on compelling offers, strong messaging, and then simple mechanisms. And we could easily cover this on another day and just focus the remainder of our time answering specific questions about your situation. What, what, I'll, while you guys are thinking about that and then either commenting or raising your hand, if you're, I guess it's just you, Randall, that jumped onto the meeting. So if you've got a question. Well, some people are having problems with the Zoom. I think a lot of people jumped onto Facebook because they weren't able to get on Zoom. I think there's a password. Password Thrive. Yeah, that link was supposed to include it. If it, I wonder yeah, if something didn't, happened with didn't it. didn't on desktop. It does on mobile, but not on desktop for some reason. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah, Thrive is the the password. I won't hide it for you guys. That's what the password is right now. If you want to jump on for the Q&A portion of the meeting, if you had the link, but you're having some issues with the password, Thrive is the password. So jump on, you can go ahead and pop that in and jump on if you want to ask your question verbally. That would be the preferred method for us to be able to talk through what it is you have. But if you have a question, you want to put it into the thing, Trent, you can see what people are asking on. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on Facebook as well, so I can watch for questions on here. Okay. Here's the thing is if you're in a commodity type business, this is where people really get scared because in a commodity type business, there is a tendency to have a price war when markets get shocked or they go lean. And anyone that's been in business long enough knows that price wars only end in, they end badly. They don't end well. So if you have a choice to go into a price war or not, I always would opt for no price war. Okay. There is an alternative for commodity-based business, which is to enhance the value of the service. So commodity-type businesses are trading or, you know, they're providing something that everybody else is providing. So the way that you increase the value of a commodity-based business is you provide it in a different way, okay? 
So you provide what is considered a commodity in a different way that, that better meets the needs of the consumer. So one of the ways that you might see this is like if, oh, well, I provide plumbing services. Well, all plumbers, as far as the consumer is concerned, are about the same. So how could you provide it differently? That's going to be the question is what can you do that meets some of the needs or concerns of the market that will make your offer more attractive? And that's kind of going into compelling offers. But Trent, do we have any questions or raised hands? Yeah. So Randall had a question. Hey, how you guys doing, man? Good. 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 Um, I, I know you guys are big on the automated sales funnel that goes to the lead ads um, into Facebook. Is, is that something you're going to continue pushing through this through, during these times? Yes. As long as the, the metrics make sense for our conversions, we'll keep doing that. So something that we always want to keep an eye on is what's the cost to acquire a customer and what's the lifetime value of the customer. So I'm okay with, and it depends on your business again, your cash flow. I'm okay with in, in our software business breaking even at month three to six and then making money after that. If we know the lifetime value of our customers high enough. So even if something gets a little more expensive and here's the good news, attention on Facebook is high and cost per leads is, is, is low because so many businesses pull back, pull back on their marketing budget. They got yeah. scared by the market. The cost to get a lead has actually gone down for us. So shoot, I should have put that on my slides, Trent, because that's Ryan. like that's 101 in a lean market. What happens is all the fools start pulling back their budgets. And if you pulled back your budget, I'm sorry I called you a fool. But that's what people do is they 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 get scared to pull back their budgets. That usually that's because their cash flow isn't in a good spot. They don't have good reserves. Don't, or they, don't, here's something important though, Ryan, because I, I think we might brush over this. I just want to make sure we put this in here. Okay. This isn't saying that we need to get sales from these leads today. We need to offer a lot of value and get people into our database, get them into our community. And then over time, some of those will convert to customers. Yeah. But, but right now to build your list, your database, of people who may or could be interested in your product or service at a future date or today, now is really inexpensive to get them into your database. So focus on building that community and that database right now while the market has shifted with the messaging that works for that. Instead of just pushing for sales the same way as you did before, you can still do what you do, did before if it's working. If your marketing is still working, keep that going, but also think about ways that you can build and add value to the people that you serve. So if I go after, for example, HVAC uh, companies, I wanna start offering some more value to HVAC companies, maybe do some free webinars on how they can take advantage of these SBA loan programs. But how can you provide value to my market? And right now, the cost to get those eyes on your message is a lot less expensive than it used to be. Here, what you see is a lot of people pulling back right now. So you, while you make make the investment, to emphasize Trent's point, the, the investment is going to be on connection and creating the, the lead but not necessarily selling. It depends on your market. So some markets you can continue to sell fine because they're, you know, this isn't how you deliver the product or whatever, or where their situation is financially hasn't really been impacted because this is a different and interesting downturn because some people are completely insulated and they're not noticing any difference financially, except for their ability to spend has been hampered. Not their, like, okay, their ability to spend the money, not their financial situation. So they still have demand, but they just can't express that demand. They have means to express the demand, but because of artificial you know, situations, they can't express the demand. Well, that's gonna come out at some point. So if that's your market, then that's great. In that case, what you wanna do is just establish the relationship until they can express that, you know, when the timing, 
people that make total sense because they can get in on it. So you do have to be very familiar with the psychology of what's occurring right now too. You know, what are people thinking? What are they feeling? You got to be very empathetic. Here's something I've noticed. So business owners are looking for someone confident to connect to right now that can guide them through this difficult time. So if you service other business owners, even consumers, if you service consumers, they're looking for hope and confidence. That's something that's very attractive in the market right now. So business to business, it's very easy right now to get people's attention and to help them to see, okay, I want to follow what you're doing just by showing some level of confidence and stability and level-headedness in this chaotic time, you can create a following and build your, your market and your, in your, whatever industry you're in, your niche, if you can come across as someone who's not being thrown off by all this chaos. People seek to be with and around people who are confident and who seem successful. And usually those are, you know, go hand in hand. If you're confident, usually you can see through all the chaos and look for opportunity. And that kind of creates extra confidence. So they kind of go together. But what I'm saying is use this time to look at your messaging and what you're offering. Put into the problem. Why is he so confident? What does he have that I need to have? So just use this as an opportunity. Now, you may see that your cost per sale might be changing because, again, we're focusing on building community and building followers. That's not necessarily making sales immediately. But if your business can withstand the cash flow of continuing to market in that way, and, again, keep doing what you're doing if it's working, just adding into it. Or if it's not working yeah. what you're doing, make an adjustment and try to, to build some communities and following and then begin to offer to them some solutions. Through just the just know, though, that, that generally – people are pulling back on their ad spend right now. Generally, people are pulling back on their marketing. And so th that means that there's a gap in the market and opportunity to fill. So don't, you do have to take a step back, like Trent's saying, look at the market, see what the condition is, but then- What's your messaging? B big businesses have failed to do this. I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of big businesses have a lot of negative comments on their ads, because using the same ads prior to COVID-19. People are like, are you insensitive? Are you not paying attention to what's going on? So you need to make sure your, your messaging is sensitive to the current state of the market, but also that you're providing value and not looking like you're just trying to take advantage of the opportunity. Yeah, and this is where it comes down to knowing your market and being really clear about who it is that you serve. Randall, does that help you at all with the questions that you had or is there still a question lingering? No, it does, it does, I appreciate it, thank you. All right, cool. Okay, so. Oh, I'm, I'm really having a hard time not going into this compelling offer slide, Trent, because there's quite a bit that is coming up in these conversations. Maybe we'll go a little longer for people that want to. Any other questions come up? Scott, you, I saw you jumped into the meeting. Did you have a, a question that you wanted to ask? He hasn't, been, he hasn't chatted in. Let me check Facebook. I don't see any questions there. If there's no questions, I mean, we'll go into it. Well, I, didn't, oh, I didn't step this one out like I thought I had. Okay, well, we'll just come through it. You guys can see everything. So the, the big deal with compelling offers is you got to solve the problem that the market has, not the problem that they had. This is where I see a lot of people going to get tripped up with the, the shock to the market is they want to continue to solve the problem that they used to solve, which may or may not be the current problem. So, you know, you need to evaluate and say, well, how, how has this situation changed people's needs? And that kind of goes hand in hand with what you're talking about, Trent, with even the marketing is our marketing is it matching up with the current sentiment of, of the public that we're, we're marketing to? But in general, when we're creating a compelling offer and strong messaging, 
we really have to get clear on what it is that the problem is that the market has versus what we have on the track, so to speak, or the problem that we've been solving. Because the problem we've been solving may not be the new problem. It may have changed and shifted. I'm seeing this in a lot of businesses, okay? So we've got a lot of people that are fixture funnel users that are gym owners. Well, if the gym operated like a kind of a typical CrossFit type way, and I'm not by no means a fitness expert, I do contribute to a gym, but I do not regularly go to one. So I may not be the right person to say these words. I may be messing them up. I know Trent is on the opposite side of that spectrum. So you can maybe fill in if I say anything wrong, Trent. But the long and short of their situation is for many of them, they don't have people now coming into the gym. So it's throwing them either in a place where they could lose their whole clientele or for, you know, maybe you just lose revenue. And by the way, losing your clientele is more expensive than losing a month's worth of revenue because once you lose clientele, it's going to be a lot more to get them back. The value of retention versus acquisition, you're going to really learn that lesson in the lean market as opposed to the, the fat market. The fat market tends to be, you know, almost as easier to replace. Yeah. People. You can just, so people just replace and they have a revolving door and it's fine. But in a lean market, Retention is super critical and you got to pay real close attention to retention. How are we keeping people in the business versus just how are we adding new people to the business? So, you know, retention is going to be a big deal, but you got to make sure that you're super clear on what market, what the problem is that the market has, because that if you solve the problem, there's great value in that. If you solve a problem, that's not the problem that they have. Now it's much more difficult to get people to buy. So you need to be really clear when creating compelling offers on the needs and desires of the prospects. You really have to get into the head of the prospect. And sometimes, especially if you haven't been the prospect in a long time, because a lot of businesses that I see have been started by someone who was once the prospect, you know, Trent, they, yeah, or they, they were once the, the customer and then they became the expert of the thing. So if the longer that time comes between when you were the once the prospect to now, the more difficult it is for you to get in the head of them. So you really have to do whatever you can. One of the things that I would do is I would run a, lo a local uh, marketing training meeting once a month, just with you know run-of-the-mill entrepreneurs. Most of them not, have nothing to do with marketing automation. I would teach them marketing. And the reason I did that wasn't because it was enjoyable, because it wasn't necessarily, because they didn't get it and they never applied it. So that's kind of lame but it was to, to be acquainted with like the lowest situation in terms of understanding that I, my customers could be in and what are the questions that come up? What are the concerns that they have? What are the things? Because that helped me to really connect with the needs and desires of the prospect. What is it that they're really focused on? How do I make sure I'm, I'm talking to that? And so you might find mechanisms that allow you to get into places where you can really get in the head of the prospect. If you're in the front line doing sales, this is a little bit easier because in sales, you know, you're talking to the prospect all the time. So you're very familiar. If you're separated that because you're actually a business owner and not an employee of the business, because you can be quote unquote a business owner, but you're really an employee. But if you're a business owner, true business owner, you're kind of separated from those front lines. You need to get acquainted with the front lines. Hopefully if you're using fix your funnel, you're recording some of your sales calls. And so you go listen to those sales calls. You know, get, find out what are those discussions? What are the things that people are bringing up? If not, at least have frequent conversations with your salespeople. Really make sure you understand and don't discount the, the problems that people bring up to them because that's going to help you to communicate and create a compelling offer. So getting connected with the prospect's mind and their heart 
more importantly, is the really critical part. Um, we talked about this with strong messaging before, but remove the focus from the offer. Make sure that you understand that the customer doesn't care about your needs or wants. You know, even if they're an evangelist, they really don't care about your needs or wants. And that's okay. I don't blame anybody for that. Then you shouldn't either. But when you know that, then that means your offer has to talk to them. It cannot talk about what you want. And I see a ton of offers, like a ton, that are very focused on the needs of the business and the wants and desires of the business. Flip that around. Get it on the customer. This is going to be extremely valuable for you. Okay? I've said this before. I don't know if anyone likes hearing it, but this is the truth you need to know, not the truth you want to hear. Nobody wants your product or service. They could care less about it. What they want is what they believe your product or service will do for them. So the question is, what do they believe your offering does for them? Okay. And make sure you stay on that tune. That is the tune to play. That is the only tune to play. Any other tune is irrelevant to them. So make sure you keep that tune on what is it that they believe your offering does for them. So this can be difficult for some people to, to understand, but once you, once you take the time to go through it and to really feel it, now you're going to get into a good spot. So really take the time to think through not only what is it they want and after, but the people that do business with you. Why do they do business with you? Think, if you think they just do business with you because they like you, that's part of it, but that's not it. Okay? That's part of it. Like even that Savoy Donuts and Escondido. If their donuts are crap, the fact that they knew my name wouldn't be enough alone. Their donuts are actually really good, so that helps. You know, you they, there's something. So when I go, it's a combination there. It's, it's a tasty donut, and they, they know my name. Okay, it's a tasty donut, and I know that they, at least it seems as though they actually care about me. You know what I mean? So the the community part is an insulator, but it can't be everything. That you have to make sure that you're hitting what it is that they're really after. So when I go buy that tasty donut, it's because I really want the experience of that yumminess as I eat it, right? It's, that's what I'm after. I'm not after the donut per se. It's the experience of, of eating it is what I'm after. And so you got to get to that level of understanding of what it is that they're after. Because like I know nobody wants to send text messages. What they want is they want more revenue for more security for them and their families. They want more revenue for greater sense of accomplishment uh, that, Hey, my business is successful. That means something about me. You know, there's almost a sense of value. That's ultimately what we're delivering. And so if, if I don't understand that, then all my messaging is not going to hit the right place. I got to understand that's ultimately what I'm delivering is a sense of reliability, a sense of security, a sense of consistency, of growth. If I'm not getting that sense across to my customers with what we're doing, then I'm missing the mark. And I can't create a compelling offer if I don't understand that's the destination we're going for. I can't have strong messaging if I don't understand that's the destination that we're going for. So you got to do the same thing. Okay. And I'll fi finalize with this. This is not an in-depth review. We'll go in-depth in, in another training. But the simple mechanisms, this kind of comes back to Randall's question. These are what I consider simple mechanisms, is, and these are examples, right? But the bottom, if you look at the bottom line, the top, the first two lead ad to text message with link, video survey appointment, keyword, auto text combo, survey conversation starter. Those are samples, but what I essentially I'm doing, the, the model that I'm following is education in the ad, 
So the ad isn't just getting attention, it's actually doing some sort of education is the model that I generally like to follow. To lead capture, to diagnosis, to prescription. This is one of the simplest mechanisms for going from, I don't know anything about your business, to I want to be a customer of your business. That, that flow, this is one of the most simple mechanisms that you can have, is education, to lead capture, to diagnosis, to prescription. If you take what Trent talked about and apply this, this model or this mechanism to it, what you get is Trent's talking about connecting and educating. What you'll notice if you do this successfully is that the education doesn't necessarily have to be on the exact topic that you will prescribe. If it can be somewhere in the same solar system or ballpark, that's great but it needs to be to the same audience that would want the prescription that you can diagnose their issue and then give them the prescription too. So the education is made to connect, to build trust, to be able to build a sense of training. You came up with the word and I, I said it in the training a while ago, which is this connection that you get to people an affinity, right? Mm -hmm. An affinity comes from people who teach us new things. And so you can create that affinity right now even if you can't sell at the moment, that's fine. Create the affinity, lead capture, lead them to a diagnosis, and eventually you're gonna have the opportunity to prescribe. And so you'll see that I have the survey. The survey is a mechanism for diagnosis. <clears throat> so thoughtful questions will allow you to be able to do that. And so that's what that's all about, okay? That's why you'll see the survey and those things. The video is, I look at video as an education tool or medium. So uh, when I do uh, ads, I typically do video ads. Occasionally I'll do other ads, but I love video ads because of the education element to them. So the survey is a, a method of expressing a diagnosis. The education I typically do with video because I don't think there's a medium that matches it for the amount of information that you can communicate for a time period. So I really like that. And then you'll see appointment, conversation starter. It really is a prescription corollary. So that's where you prescribe is during the conversation. So the survey gives you some initial information, which may be just enough for you to spark some other questions. And then in, during that conversation is where we fine tune the prescription to them. And anybody that goes through this process of education, lead capture, diagnosis, and prescription is prepared psychologically to receive uh, direction. And so that's why I kind of like this simple mechanism uh, above all. When we did our short cell genius business, what we did is we did do lead capture before education, but the lead capture was for education. So we were doing a three hour training live in their city. We would lead capture to get them into that, that education environment. And then in the education environment, by the end of it, we would, you know, we already knew what the problem was so we could do the diagnosis during the education. And then the prescription was presented at the end. So that's how the, the same simple mechanism was manifest in what we did there. And that's what that, because it was so simple and straightforward, it allowed us to go from, you know, $237 investment of Trent's money to having done 1.3 million at the end of that year. So we, yeah. had, a, we had a question here, Ryan, from yeah. Travis Talstrup. He says, what, not Peterson Donuts on 9th Street? Uh, Peterson is always a good choice and I will frequently do both. Okay. But they don't know my name and they don't yeah. know my kid's name. Peterson, the reason Peterson gets the business is because the product quality is, is what I'm looking so for. I, yeah. Because, well, it's not about quality. In that case, it's about volume. 
So anyone that's been to Peterson's Donut Corner knows that the, the donuts are huge. So that's why you go to Peterson's is because you want volume. Different problem, different solution. <laughs> but if I had to choose, I only had one stop to make, I would have to go to Savoy. Yeah. Because Dan and Cindy, I walk in, Dan and Cindy know my name. Yep. Because cheers. Yep. Okay. Well, that's all we have for you guys today. If you have any questions that come up, if you're watching this in the replay, just ask them in, in the, you know, the comment below it. We will respond to all those questions that come up. Our future ones that we're going to be going out, are going to come off of Trent's list. This was just most of my, just to go down my list. This is the bullet points I wrote down. Solve the problem they have. Create an offer that talks to your prospect. Uh, simple, repeatable mechanism to move prospects to sales conversations and become a customer. Get clear on where you are and what you are for who, or who you are for. Pick a storyline in a language. That one was the community one. And there's a few different storylines. Uh, us versus them is a real easy one. Some people have issues with us versus them because it separates groups, but that just happens. Uh, care about your customer and know the value of retention versus acquisition. We can go more into the retention versus acquisition and how do you pay attention to your retention numbers because a lot of people don't pay attention to that. Of course, the other things that I would like us to cover, Trent, that may not be on your list is business models. I am very fond of a business model that has recurring revenue in it um, because it allows you to do your best work for people. And so uh, finding ways to incorporate recurring revenue into your business is a really good thing. And because it, when I talked about the, the commodity-based business, the way that you create extra value in commodity-based businesses and your method of delivery of the commodity. And when you can incorporate and mix a commodity with a recurring revenue model, that puts you in a position to be able to deliver the higher quality service without it being the same kind of cost to people that it would be if you tried to do it just on a per delivery. This is where I would really like in, in the next training, we'll do a better job of giving you guys some more heads up for it, but is for you to come with your, your business model you're concerned about so that we can try and fix those business models. Because um, wherever you are, if there's issues in your business model that have been expressed by the stress test of COVID-19, that's a good thing. Take advantage of that because it's, let's say in a best case scenario, they figure out that oh, it's not that big of a deal. Everybody can go back to work, blah, blah, blah. And let's say in a couple of weeks, everything's not only humming, but it's doing better than ever. That's a best case scenario. If you ignore the lessons that the stress test taught, eventually there is going to be a real downturn. And it's going to kick your butt and you're going to wish you have prepared. So let the, you know, in, in a best case scenario, let this stress test teach you something and improve your business for it. Like if you've been casual about getting texting incorporated into your sales or your marketing approach, maybe let's, let's get a little more serious about that because everybody that we see that listens to what we've been teaching you guys gets an immediate double out of their sales process. Um, we just had that video that got put, posted by a long time. I mean, how long has, uh, has Athaway been around in our, our community, Trent. I remember 2009, 2010, we were talking about him. He was using more of probably the one-click upsell back then or something. But it's been a long time that he's been in the community, but he just barely implemented something that we've been teaching for the last couple of years, and immediately he got results from it. 
So these aren't things that take time to get results out of. They're, they're immediate result generators. So we put a bunch of uh, cheat sheets out with explainer videos. The, the one that he was talking about in particular was the improving your sales conversation rate. So if you're doing any kind of sales calls, this is a must, must apply cheat sheet. Because if you're not applying it, you're, you're, I guarantee you're leaving half of your results on the table at the minimum. In some situations, if you were really bad, it could be you know, you're leaving three or four times the results on the table. But at a minimum, I haven't seen, have you seen anybody, Trent, that didn't double their, their results by applying that mechanism? I, I can't think of us any scenario where we haven't had a doubling. So that's for you to pay attention to. We have a couple others out there like the anatomy of the automated conversation. There is some stuff in there that if you haven't applied it to your automated conversations, apply it immediately, pay close attention to the final step of the automated conversation. That's a huge, huge uplift for everybody that's done what we talk about in that cheat sheet there. So get some of these things that maybe you've been casual about, put them into practice. If we get a best rosy case scenario and everything works out fine, great. But I unfortunately believe that it's not going to be that nice and it's going to get even worse. And the number of people that think that they're going to be opening up their businesses that won't are going to create immense opportunities for those that paid attention to the cash flow stuff we talked about at the beginning that do some of these simple messaging adjustments. And the nice thing is, is it's not like you have to rewrite your whole email. You just make some adjustments. And if you get these messaging adjustments right, you incorporate the texting a little more intelligently using some of the cheat sheets we've given you. You get the cash flow reserves put aside. You're going to be in a better position. I got a friend who's a surgeon. He's a pediatric, he's a very specialist, he's an ear, nose, and throat pediatric surgeon. And he said, Ryan, I had to have like almost like confrontational fights with my partners to tell them to keep the business open because we've got associates that are in like Washington DC that shut them down for two weeks. And then they tried to open up the practice and all of their referral partners sent people to other places. And so all the sources of businesses they have are gone. And I think there's a lot of people that have shut down businesses thinking, okay, we'll just shut it down for now. So we don't have expenses or anything. We'll lay off some people and we'll come back and turn it back on. They don't have a strong enough business to be able to turn back on. They don't know it yet. So the worst, I think, unfortunately, is yet to come. We're going to see it in the next probably two to six weeks. We're going to start to see how bad this thing really has become. And if you haven't done any of the preparation work, if you haven't done any of the adjustments, if you haven't worked on your business model, if it, the stress has showed that it's not going to survive, you're going to be hurting. And I'm, I'm going to be really sorry. And I'm going to be really sad for you. But I hope that you'll pay attention. You'll make some adjustments. If you need any help, communicate with us. Our chat support, they don't know everything, but they will find answers for you. So if you're like, hey, I need help with this, or you know, can, can Ryan or Trent help me with that? Communicate with us because we're here to help you guys. We're here to serve you because it's in our best interest to make sure that you make it through this thing strong and solid. And if anyone's been using what we've been teaching, we're already, we know you're in good shape. But if we can do anything else to help you, we want to do it. So thanks for your time being on this training. Hope you guys got some good ideas of where you need to start focusing. If you want more examples, kick over your, your example. Like, I'm not sure this one seems like it may not be on par. Kick it over to us. We'll do it. If you want to post it in the Facebook user group because you feel safe there, post it there and we'll, we'll do it right there. You guys, we, we have a lot of experience seeing good messaging versus bad messaging, effective versus ineffective. 
So if you're not sure you're on the fence, let us help you out because a few tweaks of words can make a huge difference. As, uh, as they say, big doors swing on small hinges. So thanks so much for joining us today. We'll give you a, even a better heads up for next time. If you haven't already though, text PUSH to 760-621-8199. You really wanna be paying attention to this PUSH notification app. We got our Android uh, beta back to us uh, last night. We're testing it right now. We could have Android ready as soon as the beginning of next week. And that means you guys can start experimenting and playing with this push notification service. This is huge. You can send out uh, tens of thousands of messages in seconds through it. So it's gonna serve some pretty good results. I didn't do a whole lot of preparation because I've been doing a lot of interviews because we're hiring people right now. So I didn't get to get the good preparation I wanted to for today's training in terms of showcasing how you guys can even push people into webinars with it. But that's definitely something can happen. I kind of complicated the stuff with that, that password and not telling you guys what the password was. That's cool though. But you guys are going to want to learn about this. This is another medium that I see as being really critical incorporating it in. So if you haven't done the texting, you're like, well, I don't want to do push notifications at the same time. Do them both at the same time. There's going to be some benefit to it. And if you guys get how the mechanisms work, you guys are going to be able to do things I haven't even thought of yet. So uh, the push to me app, you're going to want to get into it and look at it and play with it and see how it works. It's very simple, but the potential that it has for your business is going to be pretty big. So it has a lot of the upsides of texting and not the downsides. It doesn't have all the upsides of texting because it doesn't have the conversational component to it, but that place where you, maybe it's less effective to use text anyways, it would be more effective to use push notification. This is going to be a real big win for a lot of people. So you want to get in on that. So, all right. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, if you had questions in the Facebook group, I'll just answer them there.